welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. We find ourselves on an extraordinary passage today as we finish Acts chapter 15. During our previous time together, Paul and Barnabas had delivered a letter to the church in Antioch from the Jerusalem church. It informed the Antiochians, uh, therefore all churches, that there no longer remains any barrier or any division No difference between Jews and non-Jews. Scripture refers to them as Gentiles uh, under the new covenant in Christ Jesus. The result was that the whole church in Antioch began to rejoice. And Paul and Barnabas afterward in verse 35 stayed there for a considerable amount of time. Uh, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, uh, essentially resuming their previous responsibilities as Bible Bible teachers in that church. Yet deep in their hearts, Paul and Barnabas, they are itinerant foreign missionaries because this is what the Spirit of the Lord had called them to do and set that set that on their hearts uh, from the moment of Paul's conversion uh, back on the road to Damascus in Acts nine fifteen he was told by Christ that he would become our Lord's chosen instrument to bear the glorious name of Jesus before Gentiles. The other apostles in Jerusalem, as recorded in Galatians two verse nine extended to Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that they might go to the Gentiles. And then their home church of Antioch, also they formally commissioned Paul and Barnabas to carry out this very work to which the Holy Spirit had called them. Next it was uh, during their first missionary journey through the region of Asia Minor, that was referred to as Galatia, uh, that even in the face of severe persecution, the Holy Spirit had planted new churches in virtually every city as a result of Paul and Barnabas proclaiming the word of the Lord, uh, courageously proclaiming God's word. The gospel of Jesus Christ uh, is all that Paul and Barnabas had committed themselves to do. They were bold evangelists. They employed no other means, no other tricks, uh, no other rabbits pulled out of their hat, uh, nothing except the pure truth of the word of God and the gospel. It is also through this preaching of the gospel that the Holy Spirit mightily moves, uh, convicting people of their sins, convincing hearts to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior uh, of the world, and many churches had been established through their first missionary journey. It was also during the course of this very first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas had endured much persecution for the name of Christ. Paul was even stoned once and left 
for dead. And therefore, when they finally returned two years later, to the, approximately two years later, to their sending church in Antioch, they stopped for a season. A season of rest. Uh, some might refer to this as a pattern of a, a missionary furlough. You know, a furlough is an opportunity for those in occupational ministry uh, to disengage for a season, remove themselves from the inherent stresses of day-to-day ministry, recollect their thoughts and determine you know, how to best uh, continue following God's calling. My closest friend when I was a student at Dallas Seminary, uh, his name was Barry. And uh, we started on the same day together. We graduated uh, together. And his de- degree tract was in cross-cultural missions. Because he, his wife, his three children were now being called by God to go to China. Uh, they had even adopted a young Chinese girl. And God had set a love for the Chinese people on their hearts. They began in China for two years uh, where they successfully completed their their cultural and language assimilation. Uh, Then they came back uh, stateside for about three months, if I remember right. They then returned to China for four years and uh, then came home to the United States again for a six-month, I believe it was a mandatory furlough. A lot of missions agency uh, forcibly make their people pull out of the field to reassess, to rest. And uh, they were home about six months. I found out later when Barry and I met for lunch in Dallas uh, that when he returned stateside, he was convinced that he would never again return to China. Though they had experienced some encouraging successes, uh, the inherent pain of ministry, uh, the spiritual isolation in a foreign land, along with just the cumulative fatigue of day-to-day ministry, had led Barry to, to, to what's often referred to as ministry burnout. He assured me, said, John, I was convinced when our plane lifted off the ground in Beijing that I was never again going to return to China. It was then about four months into his six-month-long furlough in the great state of Arkansas when he was asked by both his sending church and the mission agency how he and his family were doing. (laughs) Barry replied, all the members of the family had agreed, we must return to China. This is one of the purposes of a missionary furlough uh, so that that person can disengage, relax, reassess motives and ministry goals, emotionally heal, recharge, so that the missionary can then return to their work with even greater zeal and vigor. Paul and Barnabas' first missionary trip lasted approximately two years. They've now been back in Antioch for a period that appears to have lasted a few months. Those wounds inflicted, literal wounds from persecution or through intense persecution have healed. It's at this point where we rejoin the narrative in verse 36 of Acts chapter 15. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we, we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that Paul and Barnabas separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria uh, and Cilicia, or Cilicia, actually it's Kalikia. Um, I won't say it that way, that's just strange. And they were strengthening the churches. So a, a day came, it finally came, when Paul uh, finally turned to Barnabas and said, Hey, Let's go back. And we're offered in the narrative not even a hint of hesitation from either of these two men. Uh, If we were there, we might uh, ask, you know, but weren't there like multiple conspiracies in nearly every city to to, uh, uh, hatch to take your lives? Uh, We know the answer to that question is yes. But that does not ultimately matter to the heart of a missionary who confesses, as does Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And their zeal to proclaim the word of the Lord and love to strengthen the brethren in those churches and desire to see even more people come to trust in Jesus Christ that know that the eternal life and forgiveness of sins is in Christ Jesus, our Savior, that desire far outweighs any concern they might have for preserving their own life. In Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense or repay or reward every man according to his deeds. You know, there there arises no doubt in the minds of Barnabas or Paul uh, whether they wish to return. The dispute is over Mark. Mark, Mark. You know, that poster child for missionary failure. Their first missionary expedition in Acts chapter 13 had only lasted a few weeks when Mark wanted to return home. When their ship landed, they departed from Cyprus, their ship landed in Pamphylia near Galatia on the southern coast of modern-day Turkey without explanation. Verse 38 says, Mark deserted the team. 
The Greek term that our English Bible translates as deserted, it means to withdraw or or abandon a post. For you military folks, uh, the term implies Mark went, you know, absent without leave, was AWOL. It's not as strong of a Greek word as used to describe Demas during our earlier scripture reading from 2 Timothy chapter 4. In that text, Paul describes Demas and a number of others who had deserted him uh, as leaving Paul while he was in harm's way. They had deserted Paul while he was under spiritual duress, while he was taking enemy fire. He was under attack. Paul had been falsely accused, uh, was standing trial in Rome. You know, facing a charge, by the way, uh, that uh, would have included capital punishment. And, And Paul said, you know, at my first defense, no one supported me. But all have deserted me. And Paul would only need to turn around in the courtroom and take a quick glance and see nobody. Hello? Anybody here to support me? A little testimony to defend my work in advance of the gospel. Behind him, Paul only heard crickets. To be fair, by comparison, you know, Paul and Barnabas were not taking uh, live enemy fire in Pamphylia when Mark left. Uh, there's no record of persecution at all prior to Mark's departure, which makes it all the more mysterious. Why did he leave? Scripture doesn't tell us. Scripture is, is, uh, is brilliant in certain things it just leaves out of the picture. They would tell us exactly why he left. We'd only identify with that one reason for leaving ministry. Here it's general enough where we're wondering what could be many different things. They had only experienced one small spat on the island of Cyprus with a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. The Apostle Paul easily handled him, blinding that man uh, when uh, not long after Mark had decided, yeah, I'm out. What happened to Mark, we don't know. Uh, Whatever Mark had offered as an excuse, Paul clearly deemed it unsatisfactory. Unsatisfactory. Uh, And now Barnabas. He wanted to take Mark along with them on a second journey? In verse 38, But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. You know, Paul, Paul says, the last time we were out doing this, Mark didn't even last long enough to dodge a single stone. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that Paul and Barnabas separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Who was right here? You know, let's take that conundrum seriously. Paul's plans are to return to Galatia, to the very cities where 
their team had faced numerous conspiracies to kill them. Uh, they, are, they are almost certain, you know, once again, to face serious adversity to the gospel. And, and in the following chapters, we will find that they do face serious adversaries. You know, and Paul decides, I, I need reliable partners. And on our previous trip, Mark, you know, didn't even get off the boat. How then is Mark going to react when the abuse starts getting hurled our way the next time? You know, at best, Mark is unproven for the task. We can add to this the fact of how Paul's selection of Silas, we'll learn more about him next week, Plus, an early addition to their ministry team named Timothy, to whom we'll be introduced in the first verse of chapter 16. Plus, we're going to discover that Luke joins them in verse 11 at a port called Troas. And then Paul is going to accept the Lord's call to enter an entirely new phase of ministry in Macedonia big things around the corner. In other words, when Paul asks Barnabas to return to Galatia, uh, Paul already has it in his intention to assemble a new expeditionary force, a ministry team capable of invading new territory, uncharted ground with the gospel. Places where Paul, Silas, Timothy and Luke, they have absolutely no idea what treachery and tribulation and perils they might face. And to start it all off, Barnabas wants to invite Mark, who'd already deserted and abandoned the team. The Apostle Paul concludes, this is not the way that you recruit talent to start a new missionary journey. But Barnabas protests. You know, I think Mark deserves a second chance. And not just because he's my cousin either. We'll learn in the book of Colossians that uh, Barnabas and Mark are cousins. Hey, and he didn't abandon us because of persecution. Persecution hadn't even started. And Paul, you you can't just permanently discard people from ministry who blew it once. If we did, which of us would be left standing here today? But Paul says, I don't want Mark on my team. So who's right? Is Mark too high of risk to take into unchartered enemy territory? Or does Mark deserve a second chance? You know, an opportunity to prove himself in a more favorable environment. And the reality seems to be, at least to me, that both Barnabas and Paul are right. Paul concludes, I'm not taking him. Not with me, because he's too high a risk. Meanwhile, Barnabas maintains, well, I'm not throwing him away either. 
And Barnabas decides to take Mark back with him again to Cyprus. You know, they faced no recorded persecution on the island the first time around. Uh, You probably also recall that Barnabas was a native of that island. Uh, So Cyprus promises to offer uh, maybe a more welcoming landscape. And there Barnabas is going to take the time to, to slow walk Mark back into useful ministry again. Which of these men do you personally identify with? Do you identify with Paul? He concludes, you know, my agenda is too urgent and too dangerous, and I don't have time to take unnecessary risks. Or are you Barnabas who concludes, I'll take the time to restore Mark to useful service, and I'm willing to manage a little risk. Or do you identify with Mark? Was there a time you were previously unfaithful and blew it? But now you are still willing, you're still able, and you're asking, is there anybody here that will give me a second chance? And the answer is yes. The spirit of Barnabas reaches out to Mark. Hey, come and rejoin me. Mark replies, well, great. What are we going to do next? And Barnabas tells him, well, we're going to start all over again in the exact same place that we went the first time. We're going to begin again at square one. Our boat leaves tomorrow for Cyprus. And he's going to return with Mark to exactly where their previous journey began. Has anyone in school ever taken a repeat class? Don't raise your hands. (laughs) This is basically what it appears Barnabas is doing. And once Mark proves himself faithful, oh, our Lord is going to offer both him and Barnabas, all kinds of brand new ministry destinations. We're not going to hear the names of Barnabas and Mark repeated again in the book of Acts. Uh, This is actually where their story ends in the book of Acts. From this point forward, the writer, who is named Luke, uh, he concentrates entirely on the future exploits of Paul and his new ministry exploits. But we will discover in the balance of Scripture that both Barnabas and Mark have significant ministry successes going forward. For Mark, this passage is merely the beginning of the story of a great comeback. Think about this. Did Jesus discard his disciples after the first or Second mistake, not at all. Jesus sent them back to remedial training again. In in Matthew chapter 16, Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Peter immediately confessed that he would never allow Jesus to die in Jerusalem. 
That's where Jesus told Peter, directly in front of all the other disciples, by the way, you know, get, get back behind me. End of the line. You're now number 12. Get behind me, Satan. Your mind is not set on the things of God. Sometime later during the Last Supper, Peter, another mishap, told Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, you know, even if all those other disciples deny you, you know, even if I have to die with you, said Peter, oh, I, I will never deny you. <laughs> really, Peter. And the record in the Gospel of Luke tells us that after Jesus was arrested and at the point when Peter had denied him for the third time, the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. We're told that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Yet one of the most significant transformations for any individual after Christ's resurrection from the dead becomes Peter, who though he failed most miserably and most publicly, we all know the story about how Jesus restored him. Therefore, would Barnabas conclude that you know, Mark is too hard of a case to restore to ministry? No, no. And evidently, at least the narrative implies that Mark himself was seeking restoration to ministry. Barnabas would not have asked Paul if they could bring along Mark if Barnabas hadn't cleared it with Mark first and if Mark hadn't already expressed that he wanted to go. And after the split from Paul becomes unavoidable, Barnabas decides, you know, Mark, we'll go. We'll go. We may need to start over again from the beginning, uh, but there is a place for you in ministry. Just start anew. Back to the beginning again. And folks, Mark becomes one of the greatest success stories in all of New Testament literature. Though we don't see them referenced again in Acts, we know from 1 Corinthians 9 verse 6 that Barnabas meets up again with Paul in or near the city of Corinth in Greece. And we know that Mark meets up with the Apostle Paul again as well. In a letter Paul writes to a slave owner named Philemon, Paul refers to Mark as one of my fellow workers. Paul also describes Mark in that letter to the Colossians, describing him as Barnabas's cousin Mark, and prepared that church in Colossae to welcome him. For when he arrives, when Mark comes to see you, Paul writes, he is one of my fellow workers for the kingdom of God and one who has proven to be an encouragement to me. Mark displays a big turnaround. Of course, we all heard during our earlier scripture reading from 2 Timothy chapter 4 how Paul 
while he was imprisoned in Rome. He lamented it, how many people had deserted him during his trial. And that is where Paul tells Timothy to be sure and pick up Mark and bring him to Rome, for he is useful to me for service. Scripture reveals that Paul had, without question, fully embraced Mark as a faithful companion in the gospel ministry. As did the Apostle Peter. By the time Peter wrote his first letter, find this in 1 Peter 5.13, he will so embrace Mark that the Apostle describes Mark fondly as my son Mark. What makes Peter's statement so impactful is that Mark was not actually Peter's son. Mark was earlier described in Acts 12 verse 12 as the son of a woman named Mary. A woman who owned a house where Peter found that he had to knock on the door repeatedly to join a prayer meeting. It's when he was denied by a servant girl named Rhoda who would not let him in. Now, Peter wasn't knocking at his own door there. And this particular woman named Mary wasn't introduced as Peter's wife. Instead, she is described as the mother of this same young man named John Mark. So though Peter was already familiar with Mark, uh, he was not Peter's son. Uh, Rather, he and Mark had later grown so close that Peter embraced him just like a son. Imagine the Apostle Peter calling you his son. And that's not unusual in Scripture. Uh, Similarly, the Apostle Paul calls Timothy, my beloved son. In the opening greeting of 2 Timothy chapter 1, But Timothy, we will learn next week from the opening verses of chapter 16, was actually the son of a Jewish woman named Eunice. And uh, we will be told that Tim's actual father was a Greek. But in the opening greeting of 1 Timothy, Paul describes Timothy as my true child in the faith. Though certain apostles may have had children, we don't know for certain. Uh, There are no names of wives or sons or daughters recorded in Scripture. So when we see an apostle in Scripture describing someone as his own son, it's meant to be understood in a, a sense of endearment. And Peter comes to love this mark that much. So much that Peter became the apostle like a father who guided Mark in writing a book of the Bible that we refer to as the gospel according to Mark. Written by he who was once called a deserter 
and who Paul refused to take on a missionary journey. (laughs) Besides those stories we know concerning Peter and Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, there's probably not a greater comeback story in all of the Bible than Mark. And when Paul refused to take him on the journey, it was Barnabas who stepped in and said to Mark, God's not done with you yet. And if you find yourself sitting here and identifying with Mark this morning, desiring to start it all over again, God is not done using you either. Many have interpreted this passage as being present here in Scripture to explain, you know, that when there arises a sharp disagreement in ministry uh, to the point where there comes a separation, you know, it's, it's to be understood as God's way of multiplying ministry. I think we've all heard that explanation before. There may be some application toward that. But more often when there is a ministry separation or a church split, um, it's due to sin and because one of those parties, one of those two parties has done something wrong. I don't think that we can be given the impression in any way that either Barnabas or Paul had sinned nor made an improper or wrong judgment in this passage. I believe the passage is more likely intended to explain to us readers why Barnabas disappears and to assure Christians that if you've blown it once and when that failure has rightly excluded you from one tract of ministry, that if you're truly desiring to return to the Lord's uh, service, uh, God can and will open another path for usefulness. And for a great comeback story, we need look no further than what our Lord has done through Mark. Think about what he could do through you. Father, as we think about ourselves and the ministry you have us in today, it could probably only be understood uh, that each one of us is to some degree a comeback story. We started off somewhere, probably failed at one time or another, perhaps walked away altogether. Yet you've called us back to service and you've made us useful for the glory of your Son. Lord, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness that brings us all together to be reconciled to you in this way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.